Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 24. You can find that on page 498 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 24, there we find God's word summarized as follows. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God? or at least a part of it, because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This Reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. After the sermon, we will respond with the singing of Psalm 116, stanza 7, 9 and 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that it also includes you children sitting here in the pews. Suppose, children, your mom and dad were to say to you, if you clean up your toys... And then after that, we are going to go to the beach to go swimming. If you really want to come along, then you have to do your job. Otherwise, you're not going to come along. That's the way it goes in life, doesn't it? You are not going to go anywhere in life if you don't put some effort into it yourself. That's the way it is. But is that also the way it is with God? Will you only go to heaven if you do something first? Will God only accept you if you do something first? Well, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, that's not exactly how it works with God. And that's very confusing to us. We think we have to do something in order to get something. For that is the way it is with us in life as well, at least so it appears. But if you really think about it, then you realize that that is not really the way it works. It can't even work that way. It doesn't work that way, certainly in our relationship with God, but not in our relationship with each other either. Boys and girls, let me ask you something. Do you think your parents love you because they do certain things or because you do certain things for them? Do you think they will let you go to the beach or do other things because you have done something for them? Do you think they will only love you if you do everything they ask from you? No, not really. Why do your parents love you? They love you because of who you are, and you are their child. 
That doesn't mean that you don't do certain things for your parents, but you don't do them in order to get them to love you. You do things for your parents for other reasons. In the sermon this afternoon, we will see what those reasons are. And the same thing is true with our relationship with God. It's true that we also have to do certain things for God. We have to keep God's commandments. And that is why we hear the Ten Commandments being recited every Sunday. We have to love God and our neighbor. We have to do good works. Good works are important. But God does not love us or give us anything because we do certain things for him or for other people. Why does he love us? Why does he give us so many wonderful things? He gives them to us because of the relationship that we have with him. We are his children. And because we are his children, we also want to do things for them. Our good works do matter. But you have to understand exactly why. And that's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. I've summarized this Lord's Day as follows. Good works matter. As long as we remember that in the first place, they are prepared beforehand. And in the second place, that they follow us after death. Let me state that once again. Good works matter. As long as we remember that, in the first place, they are prepared beforehand, and in the second place, they follow us after death. Good relationships, getting together, getting along together is very important. We have to have a good relationship with God and also with each other. Christianity is all about restored relationships. And good relationships is also important in families. It was important to Jacob as well. Jacob had lived with his father-in-law, Laban, in Paran, Aram, for 20 years. However, he realized that after those 20 years that it was time for him to leave. During those 20 years, the Lord God had greatly blessed Jacob. He increased his possessions manyfold. He obtained slaves and camels, donkeys, sheep, and all kinds of other animals. His possessions became so great that he had more than the rest of the family. And so others became jealous. Jacob no longer felt, therefore, as welcome as he did before. And so Jacob figured he had better leave. And so he goes back to his native land, to his old father, Isaac. However, on the way home, he had to go through the land of Seir in the country of Edom. But that's where his brother Esau lived. And Jacob was deathly afraid of him. He knew that Esau was very angry with him, for Esau, or Jacob, had treated his brother Esau very badly in the past. For do you know what Jacob had done? Jacob was a very ambitious fellow. And he wanted to make sure that he would get the birthright, the full inheritance from his father Isaac. And so he tricked Esau, who was the oldest son, into buying the birthright or in selling the birthright to him. And he waited for an opportune moment when Esau was very weak to get what he wanted. 
And then he did something later which was even meaner. He pretended to be Esau himself in order to make doubly sure that his father Isaac, who was blind at that time, would give him the blessing that belonged only to the firstborn. Jacob took things into his own hands. He did not wait for the Lord to grant him these things. And so Jacob knew that he was guilty and that Esau had every reason to be angry with him, even after 20 years. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob wants to restore his relationship with his brother. He was also forced to do that because he had to travel through the territory in which Esau lived. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him and instructed them to say that he has some very valuable gifts for Esau. And those messengers are supposed to take along cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. And Jacob separated each herd and instructed the messengers to make these gifts available to Esau incrementally. And in Genesis 33, we read that Esau then met up with Jacob. Esau has 400 men with him. And Jacob is still deathly afraid of his brother. However, Jacob's clever maneuvering saved the day. Jacob knew that he had to acknowledge to his brother Esau that he owed him an enormous debt. Jacob had to humble himself before his brother. And Esau accepted the gesture. For we read that then Esau ran to meet his brother Jacob and embraced him. In the end, Esau does not even want the gift. The fact that Jacob was willing to restore the relationship in the way that he did was good enough. And so the relationship is restored. But now, what about our relationship with God? Our relationship with God has also been severely damaged because of all the bad things that we have done and continue to do. Even though we try our best to please him, we can't. As it says in the Catechism, even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. The Catechism speaks here, first of all, about our best works. What are some of your best works? Well, when you do good things such as praying, going to church, reading the Bible, paying to a charitable organization, our best works are those works when we try to be helpful to others, when we do things for someone else without expecting anything in return, when we make sacrifices whereby we are not the beneficiaries, but someone else's. Our best works are when we are nice to our friends and don't speak badly about them. Well, says the Catechism, even those best works are defiled with sin. But we don't do good works all the time, do we? No, a lot of the time we even do evil works. As a matter of fact, most of the times we do things in order to please ourselves. We break God's commandments all the time. In the midst of all this, God comes with his command, love God and your neighbor. And we have to admit that we don't do that. Far from it. 
And so our relationship with God is severely broken. How now do you restore that relationship? Do you do that by giving gifts, just like Jacob did with his brother? There are those who believe that. They think that they must do good works and give all kinds of gifts, such as praying all the time and giving money to church and other charitable organizations. And they say, as long as your good works outweigh your bad works, then the Lord will be pleased with you. The Roman Catholics do not go as far as that, but they become pretty close. They do admit that you admit Christ, that you need Christ, but according to them, you have to add to the works of Christ. A Roman Catholic firmly believes that you must do good works in order to, in order to earn at least part of your salvation. And you know, that is the basis of all religions in the world. Already the pagans in the Old Testament times believe that that is how you earn your favor with the gods. You sacrifice to them and you placate them in every way that you can. If necessary, you even offer up your own children to the gods. To offer up your own child is the greatest gift. They will by doing that, and you will keep those gods from being angry with you. The Muslim religion is also like that. If you want to earn your favor with Allah, then you have to make sacrifices. And the greater the sacrifice, the better. And the greater sacrifice is if you give your life for a jihad. The more you give to Allah, the greater your reward. As you know, Many Christians have also taken over some of that thinking. They make, for example, your faith one of the gifts that you have to offer God. You have to believe. And it is because you believe that you will be saved. They make faith the ground of your salvation. And that's why you have to wait with baptism until such faith is evident. But then the question is, when is that faith good enough? And what if at a later age you receive Alzheimer's and you can't remember anything? You can't even remember that there is a God. At that moment, you no longer have any faith. You can't believe anything because you can't even think anymore. Or what if you get a stroke and even though you are physically sound, you could still live a long time? But now you are no longer able to think about the relationship that you have with your God. Your mind is no longer functioning. Or what if you are severely disabled? You are severely mentally retarded. You can't even speak. Are you then a child of God or not? And then someone may say, well, we know that God is merciful and that he knows who that disabled person is. In other words, we don't know exactly what's going to happen to him or her, but God does. What comfort is that to the parent? What comfort is that to the spouse of an Alzheimer's patient or a stroke patient? Such disabled people are children of God, not because of anything that they have done or are doing, 
but only because of the relationship that God has established with them through his covenant of grace. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, as we read, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. And so you cannot make a work out of your faith either. It is a gift of God. Why does he give that to you? Well, and when does he give that to you? Well, not after you believe, for then it would not be his gift. And so that would be ridiculous. He gives that faith to you first. And do you know why he gives that gift to you? He gives that gift to you because he established a covenant with you. Oh, sure, you must also use that gift. But when he gives that gift of faith to you, then that covenant relationship is already in place. He established it because he loves you and he prepares your heart. We don't come to God with anything in order to establish or restore the relationship. No, God comes to us. Listen to what it says in John 6 verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what the Lord Jesus says. We should not think that we can come to God in our own power either. Suppose you get a letter. A letter from a rich Dutch uncle. And he invites you to come to him in Holland to have a vacation there. And he writes to you that on a certain day you have to go to the airport in Edmonton where his pilot will pick you up with his private airplane. And I suppose you were to say to yourself, well... I don't quite believe that this is going to happen unless I myself don't also do something for it. Let me see if I can get to the other side of the ocean myself. Then I'll enjoy my holiday with him once I'm there. And then you get on your bike and you ride to the, and you drive to the Atlantic Ocean. And there you get into a canoe and you start paddling in the direction of Holland. Well, you can try, but it won't do you any good. You will not get to the end. You'll drown for sure. It's ridiculous that you even try. It's also thankless. Your uncle has provided you with a plane, and you don't even want to get on. The Lord God says, if you want to make your trip to heaven, then you either do it by yourself, or you don't do it at all. But we have difficulty with that, don't we? We want to do something ourselves. Well, please don't think that you can. And you don't have to either. In first, in, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we read that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Lord Jesus is like that private airplane. He is the one who brings you to your final destination. He also does all the works for you. It was God's plan from eternity to redeem the world through the Son of God, the incarnate Jesus Christ. And when Christ came to earth, he took your good works with him. 
and they were already prepared. Also the works you have to do. For you are, for you do not have to do anything for your own salvation. And that is why, as we also saw last week, he imputes those works to you. That is, he treats you as if you yourself have done the works. He prepared them beforehand. The Lord Jesus is the only one who is able to do the good works that the Father requires from us. He is the only one who has a good relationship with God because he is God himself. And he is the only one who can restore our relationship with the Father. The good works are a result of what Christ has done for us. Our good works are the fruit of our election. Other translations, such as the King James Version and the RSV and also the English Standard Version, state that the good works which God prepared for us beforehand were done so that we would walk in them. For you see, just because Christ has done the work for you, that does not mean that now we are left without any responsibility. We come to the second point. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, this is where the rubber hits the road. Like your rich uncle in the Netherlands, the Lord God gives you a free trip to a wonderful destination. But you also have to show that you want to go on that journey, on that journey that he has prepared. You have to show your thankfulness. Why? Because of the relationship that you have with him. Not because of anything you have done to earn the trip, but because of the relationship as such. Your relationship with God will go sour, however, if you don't show your thankfulness. Your rich uncle will never invite you again if you just take his gift for granted, or as if you deserve it. And the Lord God will not give you your reward if you take his gift for granted either. For by scorning the gift in that way, you scorn the relationship. People still have difficulty with that. If all you have to do is show your thankfulness, do you then not think too lightly over what we have to do? Don't we have to give something back in order to show our thankfulness? Well... The Heidelberg, the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism understand that thinking. And that's why they ask in question 64, does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, every Sunday you are addressed as God's congregation and as his redeemed people. In the preaching and in our singing of the beautiful psalms and hymns, you are reminded of the loving relationship that you have with the Lord your God. But such a relationship is not maintained by sitting on your duff, by reclining in your lazy boy chair. If you believe that God has established a covenant with you, then that covenant relationship also have to show through the things you do. And so good works do matter. They matter very much. 
We read in Revelation 14, verse 13, that those who die in the Lord will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. That is to say, everything that you do out of faith will also follow you. And so that means that your good works do matter. They matter very much. Your good words have great worth in the eyes of God, today and in the life hereafter. Everything that you do out of faith is rewarded to you by God. Not because you deserve such a reward, or because you have earned anything with them, but because God wants to impress upon you that your good works really mean something to him. That he is not indifferent to you if you dedicate your life to him. On the contrary, it really means something to him. When you come to church every Sunday, that you pay your voluntary contributions and your contributions to other charities, that you send your children to a Christian school, that you invest time and effort in kingdom work, such as the work that you do as a committee member in church, or as an organist, or janitor, or whatever you do. It really means something to him when you are dedicated to your wife, your husband, your children. When you do your best to be in a good relationship with them by being kind and forgiving, it really means something to him. When you do your work as an elder or a deacon, and you faithfully do your work, even if you know that you're going to be criticized for the work that you do. It means the world to him when you pray to him and ask him for the forgiveness of sins. But again, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, those things are not done so that you can earn something with him. No, the reward is given to you for no other reason than that he loves you. And because he knows that you know that he loves you. Does such teaching not make you careless and wicked? Yes, it will. But only if you do your good works in order to earn something by them. But then the fault does not lie in the teaching, but the fault lies in you. For then you still have not understood what salvation is all about. If you know that you are a child of God through no merit of your own, if you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is with you on your journey in life to the end of your destination and that you will be saved to the end, then such knowledge will also change your life. Such knowledge will also make you bear fruit. For then you realize God's great love for you, and you will want to do good works for Him. A child who loves his parents also wants to do things for their parents. Oh, sure, Children have to be taught to do that. They have to be reminded of their duties. And the things that they do do are far from perfect. But the relationship with their parents does not depend on the good works they do. They're only a result of it. 
When you love each other, then you do things for each other. When you love God, then you do things for him. And the same thing is true of our relationship with our Father in heaven. And it is true the works that we do are also far from perfect. But we do our good works in the comforting knowledge that our relationship with God does not depend on the good works we do. And if that's the kind of relationship we have with our Heavenly Father, then he will also reward us. He will reward us in this life and in the life to come. And he will say to you at the end of your life, Well done, you faithful servant. You have served me well. Your good works show that you love me. Receive a place of honor around my throne together with my son. You are my dear child, and you have shown yourself to be my dear child. And you will be always my dear child forever and ever. Amen.